This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in on this fine Tuesday to the BearCast on 365 Sports YouTube. Sikkim365.com. I'm Craig Smoke. Joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer and got Gary Ross behind the scenes as well. And for the next hour, we will be bringing you all of the finer talking points and headlines and things worth mentioning when it comes to Baylor athletics as we roll into the month of April. And as of last night, basketball season officially over. UConn crowned the men's national champions a day removed from Kim Mulkey and LSU winning a national championship uh, on the women's side of things. So hoop season is over, but there is not a lack of hoops news. And that's where we will get started this week. Uh, Grayson, first things first, how you doing, man? Doing good. I mean, got to watch some basketball over the weekend just a little bit. Honestly, this tournament, you know, wasn't the most intriguing for me, I would say. But I did watch, you know, the women's Final Four game, Iowa versus South Carolina, and then just a little bit of the Iowa-LSU game. Um, and then, you know, saw a little bit of UConn as well. But, yeah, I mean, just impressive by UConn. Five national championships in the last 25 years. That's super cool. The storyline of Caitlin Clark was amazing. And then, of course, LSU uh, beating her in the national championship, another huge storyline as well. So, uh, you know, pretty fun sports weekend, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it kind of fizzled out there with the men's game, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm interested to see uh, when the ratings come out of where the men stack up against the women. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a very real chance they might not match the 8.8 or what was it, 9.8, 9.9. 9. 9. 9. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, now I'm even less sure that they match that because I, I saw very little buzz about the men's game last night mm-hmm. on social media. Granted, I wasn't hanging around for very long, but when I dipped in, everybody was kind of like, well, game sure started late, and, yeah. you know, like, it just didn't seem to have any any sort of fireworks to it. But, yeah, congrats to the Huskies, and uh, we'll see, you know, how the offseason starts to uh, unfold for everybody across the, the landscape on both the men's and women's sides. But uh, we'll go ahead and start off there with uh, Baylor because there is a couple of basketball notes to get to. We'll talk some spring football and some recruiting coming up here in the next few minutes as well. But, um Big news for Baylor men's basketball, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to how unexpected this was. For me, this was not unexpected in the slightest. Uh, LJ Cryer, Baylor guard, announced uh, about a week ago that he was going to be testing the NBA draft waters but would not fully hire an agent, uh, at least was going to keep his options open as far as his college career went. And I, um, not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but just saying that I immediately thought like, oh, he's probably gone. And I know that at least Smokey and Paul were looking at it a little bit more positively and thinking, oh, no, he's probably going to be back. He's just going to go out there and go flirt a little bit, right? See what kind of NIL money is out there or what have you. Like, that's the typical thing people do nowadays. But for me, I thought, like, he's out. He's gone. Um, If he comes back to college, I doubt that he's coming back to Baylor. And sure enough, just within days of announcing that he's going to go test the NBA draft waters, it's now – turned into he's gone he is going to go enter the transfer portal and so 
He's either going to get some pro advice here in the near future that's going to be great for him, or he's going to be on the market. Um, and mostly, he's going to be on the, market. Be on the market. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, LJ Cryer, your thoughts on a departure that I guess for some was kind of unexpected. I know Ashley had a big you know, write-up on it for premium members of Sikkim365.com. Ashley's obviously very tapped into basketball, and so those are the types of things that – you know, you can get on that side of the coin uh, if you want to go check out the website. So, yeah, man, where do you stand on this? Are you, were you shocked by this? Uh, and just your general thoughts on what this means for Scott Drew and the team moving forward. Yeah, I mean, just credit to Ashley because, once again, he was the first uh, to drop this really in the know, like you mentioned, with the program. So really cool to have this on the website and, and be able to kind of explain it I guess, in a way. I know a lot of people aren't going to be satisfied with any explanation as to why the guy who that's projected to be the leading scorer next year would leave Baylor. And I know this doesn't happen a lot, but I just don't think, you know, that, that term that Scott Drew uses, joy. I just don't think there was a lot of joy um, from LJ as far as what was going on during his time at Baylor. And it just felt that way since last year. I mean, we saw there were rumors about him transferring last year. Um, and I, I think based on what we hear now, I, I think those rumors were probably pretty accurate. And so now he's deciding to uh, make a move. I do think he's going to transfer. I don't think he's going to be going pro uh, this time around at least. And he's probably going to go somewhere, try to be the guy, try to be, um, you know, go to a place where he can really be featured even more than he was at Baylor this year, which frankly is pretty insane because I, I felt like outside of Adam Flagler, he was probably the guy that was featured the most. Um, but at the end of the day, we mentioned this when the All Big 12 Awards came out. You know, I felt like he got slided a little bit, maybe from the team that he was on, to be third team All Big 12. I, I felt like that was pretty crazy. Um, and so I think those accolades and things like that probably, you know, maybe played a role in this as well. Um, but at the end of the day, on the Baylor side of things, it's a loss. I mean, you can't call it not a loss. This was a guy that was supposed to be, you know, play 30-plus minutes, average, you know, probably 18 points a game, something like that, be one of the best three-point shooters in the country. And now he's leaving, and now you got to figure out a way to replace him. And can you find someone in the portal who's good enough to replace what Adam or what uh, LJ Cryer brought to the team on the offensive side? I don't know if you're going to be able to find that, but what I can tell you is I think you'll find someone that is maybe a little bit more well-balanced. Cryer had his flaws on the defensive side. He's not the biggest guy. He got exposed at times defensively, um, but was able to make up for it on the offensive side. So I think whoever they get is probably going to be a guy that's more of a two-way player uh, that they can add to the fold and maybe make them a a better defensive team and maybe a more well-rounded team than they were this year. Well, on the one hand, the transfer portal takes away, and it'll probably give back. Um, So, I mean, that's the saving grace is that you have the transfer portal. Otherwise, you might be already in a bit of a pickle uh, in regards to next year just because you were counting on Cryer to play a heavy role for you. So just a matter of days after Keontae George uh, decided to leave after his true freshman season, I mean, that was – that was clear as day from the moment he committed to Baylor that that was going to happen. I know that there was like some element of folks out there who were like, "Well, may- no," <laughs> like that. I just never crossed my mind any other thought than he's going pro after year one. Uh, L.J. Cryer, though, you thought, yeah, he might stick around for another year and and see uh, how much more he can he can build his profile. But you know, I can, I can also understand that guy's probably gotten a few DMs from programs around the country um, and. 
even without having any idea, I mean, your brain automatically goes to Kansas State. Does he want to reunite with Jerome Tang? Does he want to go to, like, Texas or something in conference? Just because, you know, we know that they're high profile. They just had a great run. Um, you know, I saw Purdue for him. A lot of talk about Purdue. Yeah, so quickly on that, that was actually the school that he wanted to go right. to out of high school, but they took Jaden Ivey instead, which I think yeah, it worked out, out well pretty, for them. You know, that went pretty well for them, but they made their choice. So, yes, LJ, there's some interest there. I've heard Houston mentioned as Houston. well. A&M. Uh, I think Miami had interest in him last year, and, of course, they added, you know, I think two transfers last year, including Nigel Pack. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are some of the schools that have been rumored. I'll, ultimately, I think it, it's going to be very interesting. A lot of schools are going to have interest in a guy that shoots, you know, forty three percent from three and averages fifteen points per game. Like you don't find many guys like that. Well, let's face it, too. I mean, this is his best chance at a payday. I mean, if we're just mm-hmm. being honest about it, um, you know, he's not going to, at least in the foreseeable future, have the big NBA career that's going to, you know, be like his job for the next decade, uh, like you. We'll see for Keontae George, for example. Uh, so that leaves you at a point where, yeah, I mean, down the line, you, you could probably add up some dollars. But as far as like, hey, go to the transfer portal and get some NIL money and be a very highly attractive target for probably most any team in the country, he fits that bill. So good luck to him. But, yeah, it's definitely a loss for Baylor and one that I'll be curious to to know how much Scott Drew is sort of planning for and how much he's sort of – shaken by like oh wow we were kind of banking on that i think they were planning on it i i I don't think that they were because of the reasons mentioned it seems like it yeah right and so you mentioned the fact of a payday like guys like armando baycott at north carolina you know these big guys who don't really have a future in the nba you're seeing them cash in as well you're probably going to see it from guards as well you know max avesmiths who's been in the you know been in college it seems like forever because oral roberts had that huge run and now he's in the portal Uh, who knows you know he's probably going to follow his head coach I would guess but um yeah I I mean you're just gonna see this more and more I think as guys realize hey you know with NIL I can get a huge payday in college why would I try to go to the pros and risk everything if I I'm not really a sure thing yes uh so there's where you sit with LJ Cryer and uh you mentioned um Max Abmus, uh, Amos of following his coach potentially that would of course uh, mean some Baylor ties there is Mm -hmm. Well, Grant McCaslin and uh, not Grant McCaslin, no, but uh, Mills. Paul Mills, Wichita State, right? And Wichita yeah. State, uh, Grant McCaslin, former mm-hmm. uh, Baylor assistant and grad, uh, now at Texas Tech officially as the head coach. So yeah, the the chess pieces of the Scott Drew coaching tree are uh, moving around. But uh, yeah, Paul Mills is who um, you would uh, be eyeing there potentially uh, as a as a logical target. But that's that's also got to start considering Grant McCaslin at Texas Tech for a lot of guys yeah. now too. So everyone wants to be Baylor. Uh, yeah, well, this, <laughs> I mean that's that coaching tree is just a successful one, and it just so happens to be blossoming a lot of branches within the Big Twelve, which um, you know is a compliment to Scott Drew. So yeah, there's uh, the latest on L.J. Cryer, and he's moving on. Meanwhile. Uh, Zach Loveday also moving on from the roster, and there might be more of like a huh who uh, because we just haven't quite frankly seen a ton of him, in, especially in comparison to a uh, to an LJ Cryer. Uh, but the seven footer uh, from Ohio originally, uh, just wrapping up his junior season, is uh, going to be head of the transfer portal as well. And um, here's one where you know all due respect, not uh, not losing out on a, a whole lot of production or or. You know, I guess if you look at the roster, there's logical places to start, and and that 
that seems like one right there. Yeah, he kind of came at the worst time to Baylor because he came right as Baylor was figuring out that they were going to build a lot around their guards, and it was more about having athletic bigs as opposed to guys that you're just going to feed in the post. You know, they went away from what they were doing for a long time and kind of what Purdue's doing right now, right, with feeding their bigs, really featuring them. Now it's more about, you know, having really athletic defensive bigs who can protect the rim while also being great rim runners and and things like that. So you see that with everyday John. It's something they missed from him this year because he wasn't fully healthy. Uh, But you're seeing them, you know, with Josh O, more of that type that they're looking for, I think, now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, unfortunate for Love Day. It didn't work out, but good for Baylor because they need more spots. Uh, They need opportunities to go into the portal and find guys who can help them next year. And I I don't think Zach was going to be that guy, at least based on what we've seen over the last few years. So Zach Loveday and LJ Cryer on their way out. There's a couple of scholarships now open and we'll see how Scott Drew and his staff go and attack the transfer portal and ought to be in in a really interesting year. I mean, now with Grant McCasland uh, in the conference as well as uh, Jerome Tang's first year, the way that uh, he operated K-State. Yeah, Scott Drew is going to be surrounded uh, by by good buddies and, uh, you know, just good people that he's been around and, and helped build and vice versa. So I'm curious how much like that stacks up now. We're at three out of the 12. Like how many more uh, is, yeah. is Paul Mills eventually find his way into the he big might. 12. Uh, John Jake is going to get a, you know, like it's going to be Brooks, yeah. Alvin Brooks. It's going to be really uh, cool to see how, how, you know, big and strong those branches grow, but uh, that that coaching tree's off to a, a heck of a little transformation right now. Good news is you don't have to play everyone twice anymore. Yeah. Cause that has been just a, you know, treacherous path having to play teams twice. Now you get to spread it out a little bit more. So that should be helpful for most of the teams. Yeah, Houston will still be a problem, but the other three have a bit more as far as uh, questions to answer uh, in in terms of their transition into the basketball side of things with the Big 12. But meanwhile, on the women's side of the coin, uh, the, you know, Baylor women's team bringing in a transfer themselves. But let's get the, the... the big story out of the room that's it's not Baylor-related anymore, but I'll just ask you, I mean, your thoughts on Kim Mulkey winning a title at LSU. I talked about it on the show yesterday. I kept it civil, um, and I have no reason to get, like, dirty and personal when it comes to Kim. Like, I know some people, you know, have different feelings. Uh, I'm just, you know, I have certain ways I feel about certain things, but, uh, you know, congrats to her, and I, I felt like this was inevitable. I saw Nikki Collin was obviously watching the game. She was... I felt bad for her because she made a comment about the officiating, which everybody was making a comment about the officiating if you were paying attention to that game. And immediately immediately somebody's like, well, you're – you know, it's like Mm – I can't say what I really wanted to say, but, you know, it's like, no, she's just commenting on what everybody else is commenting on, but I understand two plus two equals four, and so it was taken as, like, she's taking a shot at Kim, and that was absolutely not the case. So I think she just kind of stayed off Twitter probably after that, which – that place is a hellhole, so better off. But, um, you know, that was, you know, something that you knew was probably coming down the pipeline uh, when Kim left for Baton Rouge. And um, not to spend too much time on it here, because I know there's some people that just don't want to hear it at all. But, right. I mean, I don't care. Uh, I'm going to mention it. So what are your thoughts? Because I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, she hit a ref, and she was in the middle of the court. It felt like half the game and got away with it, which was crazy. And then Caitlin Clark got a tech for throwing a basketball. I just, I, I don't know. that. Those type of things really, you know, aren't great to see for the game in general, officiating wise. I would just say this, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, good for Kim. They obviously deserve to win the national championship. I mean, they won the games to get there. That's great. 
did I at any point sit there and say, wow, you know, this is a super likable, you know, team? Not really because I'm not a huge Kim Mulkey fan. I'm not against Kim, but I, I just, you know, the way things left, um, the way things were left at Baylor weren't great. And just the way that I think she's gone about some of the things she said on social media and just the way she has said things, um, I, I just, I don't really respect some of it. Um, and then this week, you know, after the championship, still referring to Mac Rhodes and saying, you know, I, I, I respect Scott Woodward, who is the uh, athletic director at LSU, because he just basically stays out of the way. And he, he doesn't need to be the most important person in an athletic program. A direct shot at Mac Rhodes, which was completely uncalled for, um, just at any level. So I felt like that was really ridiculous when you're trying to celebrate a national championship to do that. That's pretty crazy to me. Um, Mac Rhodes has never been someone like that in my eyes based on the hires he's made and the way the coaches at Baylor view him. Um, So I had an issue with that. But again, in general, they won the national championship. They deserved it. Kim is great at winning. She's proven that time and time again um but i'm not gonna sit here and say it was super likable yeah no i, mean, I think it's it's funny is people are getting a much different vantage point than they're accustomed to the last few years like that's the that's the thing is it's yeah. when it's on your side it's cool and it's fun and it's acceptable and then also when the shoes on the other foot you're like oh wow so that's why everybody was the way that that's they why were people towards didn't like yeah yeah Baylor, yeah yeah exactly i think it's been funny to see kind of people realize that but yeah that's what everybody was thinking all along and now you're you're seeing a, a little bit of the vantage point as well but like i said i mean it's inevitable there's going to be comparisons drawn um you know and and we'll see what nikki collin can do with the program moving forward but uh, this was something that's um you know just part of the deal, and so I know there's a lot of people from Waco and, and Baylor alums that were celebrating that, um, the same as if she was still doing it in green and gold, and I know there's plenty of people that feel differently about it, and I think that'll just constantly be like just a split in the fan base, sure. one of many. So if you liked it, great. If you didn't, great. But um, either way, uh, Nikki Cullen is uh, getting to work on next year's roster, and so somebody can kind of give us a double dual Look into things. I know he was. He's a big Kim Mulkey fan. I don't know if he was before when she was at Baylor, but Garrett Ross, the LSU fan, is certainly <sighs> one now. He got to celebrate that national title. So I'll ask you about that, but I also want to ask you just about Nikki Collin and the fact that uh, she's uh, going to be riding these comparisons forever and ever, and we'll get to a transfer here in a second, but just what were your thoughts? Uh, for me, it was kind of weird, dude, because covering the the Baylor's team here for the women obviously you're covering the team who Kim left but I'm a fan of the school she went to so it's kind of weird from that perspective um I knew it was coming I think everybody knew that was coming um whether it was coming in year two or not that's kind of questionable but she was going to win titles at LSU um and I think that's inevitable I think that right now if you're Nikki Collin and you're Baylor it's always going to be there. You're just going to have to figure out a way to navigate around it. And the mm-hmm. best way to the best way to do that is just win. You got to. I don't know how you're going to be able to do it. You just got to block everything out. But you got to put the pieces together. Um, but like watching that game, I, I think there was a lot of. Um, it, it showed that the future of women's college basketball is at a point where, you know, Grace. I know me and you talked about it before. You can make the argument that it's in the best place it's been in ever. Um, I think watching that game and watching the tournament unfold and kind of drawing comparisons to what Baylor needs to do going forward, they've got to figure out a way to sharpen up and get elite guard play because that's what you're going to have to do to win at this level now. Um, I don't know how you go about navigating the transfer portal because you can't do that 
to the same caliber and, and the same fashion that other schools can. So I think you're always going to be behind the eight ball there, but it's more so going to be about finding the right chemistry. I don't know that you're ever going to get over the elephant in the room, though, if, if you're Nikki. I, I just yeah. don't see that going away anytime soon. So, yeah. I mean, just do what you can. Keep your head down, win, and just kind of navigate the waters, man. It's weird. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's all about winning. That's the only thing that you can really do is go out and win as much as possible. It's the same thing with, with Kim. I mean, if she's not winning that title on Sunday, she's being viewed entirely different. Um, the stomping, the whatever, you know, like whatever you want to point to, uh, the – I mean, even still winning, she gets plenty of flack, mm-hmm. but they win. And that's why, you know, it's like, well, who cares how Angel Reese taunted Caitlin Clark? They won. Who cares how she dressed? They won. Like, everything's but they won. And so if you win, that ceases and changes the perception of everything else, and it makes everybody happy. And so, yeah, Nikki Collins' best bet is to just go and win, and part of trying to do that is change over this roster. Um, and it's not an enviable position to be in, but uh, they did make the move. We we talked a little bit last week about some of the players that we know are coming back, but they've now also added Madison Bartley from Belmont. Uh, she will be a part of the team next season, a 6'3 forward. She averaged 14 points and five rebounds per game uh, last season. So any thoughts on the addition for Colin and company uh, of Madison Bartley? I mean, I think it's great. You were going to need somebody to kind of step in to fill the void left behind by Caitlin Bickle. Um, looking, I haven't had an opportunity to go back and watch the film, but kind of going off of some of the the people who've kept an eye on uh, Madison in the past, she should be a great addition as far as she should bring in um, more scoring in the paint than what we saw in the past. I'm interested to see what she can do stepping out behind the arc. Uh, she was able to shoot 32% at Belmont before, uh, but me, to me, it's really going to be the rotation and how you use her because you're going to have Asia Blackwell coming back. You're going to have Dre Edwards coming back as well as Bugs and uh, Dariana Littlepage. I mean, Dariana Littlepage, Bugs, and Bella Fauntleroy. It's just a matter of that rotation. So I don't know how they're going to handle that. But I think from a depth perspective and their style of play, it's very, going to be very beneficial to have her in the mix uh, night in and night out. Yeah, she makes them um... – a little bigger, which yeah, they need. Definitely. They definitely need some size additions, and uh, that helps out in that regard a little bit as well. Belmont, a pretty good team uh, in their own right. Um, so, Grayson, your thoughts on the reshaping of the roster ongoing? Yeah, I think anytime you add someone who has the ability to score 20-plus points in a game, um, that's very helpful. And they haven't really – they didn't really have that this year necessarily down low. And I, I think she's intriguing because, again, 32% from three – she can shoot the three. She made 26 three-pointers this year. Uh, rebounds at a fairly high level, I think like five rebounds a game. That's solid enough, but the simple fact of the matter is if she gets hot from the floor, you can really ride her to a win, and that's something that they desperately, I think, needed this year to take pressure off Sarah Andrews specifically uh, at times. I mean, she had a 31-point game this year, multiple games of scoring over 22 points. So having anyone like that in your rotation, I think, is very important uh, nowadays in women's basketball. As we just saw in the national championship, mm-hmm. LSU's guard, who really hadn't done much all season long, hit, what, like seven threes or something crazy? Yeah. Like, to have someone like that off your bench is big, and I think that uh, she might even be a starter, but I just think it's a, a nice addition. Very nice. Was it Jasmine Carson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, that had the big game. And then Alexis Morris, former right. Bear, had a big game. That one, you don't know, like, it, it would be one thing, I think, uh, if you were seeing a bunch of faces you knew. 
But I was sitting there with like Alexis Morris. I was like, you can't be mad about that because that was four schools ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I'm not even poking fun, but like she was a former Bear and an Aggie in a in the what else a Rutgers, Rutgers. Scarlet Knight, yeah. and there was another team in there, and then yeah. she ended up there. So like that one. That one didn't really feel like that was uh, that close to home any any longer. But, yeah, I mean, they had outputs from multiple players, to your point, and that's what you're looking for because last year, if Caitlin Bickle got in foul trouble, which is basically every single game, they were pretty much screwed. And they needed, like, Andrews or Little Page Buck. They needed somebody to, like, have a massive game, and it just you couldn't rely on that night in and night out. And and also, like, when the scoring would – would get to a point they would have to defer to Jamie Asbury a lot, and yeah. that's not going to be there next year. So you, yeah. that's a void you're going to have to fill. Yeah, and, right. and I think they're going to. I mean, you add Dre right. and Asia Blackwell, and I think they have room for another transfer, which you and I've talked about. Yeah. I, I do think a scoring guard is where need they that. need to look. That that's kind of my vantage point on it. But there's room there for this team to be just drastically different and drastically improved from a year ago. So, welcome to Madison Bartley, the newest addition to the Baylor women's basketball roster as uh, they start to look at a pretty familiar lineup, although there will be some changes here and there, and she's one of those changes. So, welcome her into the fold, and let's see how the rest of the offseason goes because it's just getting started. We're two days out from the beginning of the official offseason post-national championship game. So there's a little Baylor women's action for you as well. Uh, Meanwhile, on the football front, Grayson, I guess our our remaining uh, notes really to get to here. Uh, Just yesterday heard from Kevin Curtis and the cornerbacks. um, Heard from Dave Aranda a little bit on Saturday. And they've just been kind of been going about their business, Um, you know, being out there the three times a week, I think, is kind of what we're at media-wise. We've got another couple of weeks to go uh, before we get into the full swing of the spring game. Uh, but I, I, what do you would like to – let's not get into recruiting. Let's save that for the last part. But just in general, football spring team-wise, what stood out to you from this past week or, or what's of note for you? Yeah, so, I mean, they had their first, I guess, scrimmage. It, it really was just a team period that happened to be live for a little bit longer. It wasn't like a full-on scrimmage like – the green and gold game or anything like that. But um, really important time, right, to kind of figure out, you know, how these guys are progressing, how they're doing, who's really shining during these moments. And so um, let's talk about a few of those guys. So Blake Shapin played really well. And I know a lot of people are upset by this or don't want to hear this because of what they saw a year ago, but Blake is performing well this spring. And honestly, I don't think this should be surprising. Sora Robertson just arrived at Baylor um, in January. He's a guy who is still picking up everything offensively, still trying to get um, his bearings under him in this new offensive scheme that is way different than the air raid that he was um, you know, used to at Mississippi State. So, again... Should not be surprising. Sawyer is going to pick up momentum, I think, as we you know turn towards the fall, maybe the end of spring as well. But right now, Blake Shapin is performing really, really well. And that's okay to say. And I think people look at last year probably a little bit too harshly when there were so many things wrong with last year's team. And I, I know Blake played a role in that, but there were so many other things that happened last year that really made things look even worse for him than they actually, in my opinion, were. I think anybody that you're listening to that's sitting there saying, like, well, if we just change quarterbacks, everything would be better, yeah. or that was just immediately disregard their opinion to some extent because it is not all on Blake Shapin by any means. He was not covering receivers last year. He was not 
not getting to the quarterback last year. He wasn't not making plays offensively last year. I guess he to some extent was doing that, but that was a theme common around the entire grouping. So, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. That's I think that's just a lazy, go, easy go-to is, oh, it's the quarterback. It's, yeah. it's you know, and – I, there's he's got to get better. Don't get me wrong, but he was not like the the scapegoat for all that went wrong last right. year. And it was his first year as a starter. So yeah, I mean, and, and people need to remember that. And I, I understand that they that a lot of people don't view him as a high ceiling guy. I understand that. But in this offense, we've also seen flashes of brilliance from him. So if we hadn't seen that before, I would understand it. But I think there's a lot of confidence in the locker room that he can be the guy that won the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma State. He can be the guy um, that puts up a bunch of numbers in this offense and makes them really successful. So I'm curious how it plays out. But right now, Blake's shaping with a, an edge at, at the moment. Moment based on everything I've heard and seen uh, up to this point. Um, receivers were awesome. Uh, all four of their top receivers scored touchdowns in this game on the outside. So Hal Presley, um, Josh Cameron, Armani Winfield, and then Keytron Jackson, who's the name that I'm going to highlight. I've mentioned him ad nauseum. Um, this kid is going to be awesome in this Baylor offense. I just think there are a lot of things that he can do um, that they didn't really have a year ago. Um, and, and just everything I continue to hear about him is just positive. And so Keetron Jackson, a big riser right now this spring, not surprising to me really. He was a guy that was a priority for them in the portal, uh, but more so confirmation as far as he's making plays and really standing out at this point in spring practices. It's good to hear. I mean, that's why he's here, uh, is to make an impact. Uh, I think Hal Presley is really the only, and I don't know how proven he is at this point, but he's really the only one that you go like, okay, yeah, I saw a little bit from him last year, but we saw very little of Armani Winfield. We saw a bit of Josh Cameron, yeah. now that I think about it. And Monterey. In Monterey, but he's kind of a gadget uh, sort of player, not like a six catches for 75 yards type of guy. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're clearly in need of uh, – of some improvement there, and that's why they went and got Keytron Jackson. Yeah. So that's good. The outside wide receiver spot, for sure. Because you got neighbors in Monterey, so you feel pretty comfortable with the slot roll. Um, but yeah, so that's encouraging. The offensive line still doing some reshaping. The run game, you know, we know about the running backs. They're really solid as well. Um, but let's let's move to the defensive side. So TJ Franklin has been tremendous so far during spring football, having just great practices after great practices. He's been uh, one of the biggest risers again this spring, even though we knew what he could do, but he really needs to have a massive season. Gabe Hall is performing really well also. So having those two playing at this level uh, is a big deal, and TJ's just been getting after the quarterback relentlessly so far this spring, which I think is great news to hear. Um, they have depth at, on the defensive line. It's a position I feel really good about. And if TJ Franklin and Gabe Hall take another step this year, that provides even more confirmation that that unit could be the best on the team. Yeah, and let me clarify on Monterey before somebody interjects during their own listening to the podcast. I'm already predicting the commentary of like, well, Monterey can get six catches. He did it twice last year because he, he played in a third of the games, and that's all we have besides his very limited run the year before. He's so I believe healthy. I believe yeah. he can do some stuff. Don't get me wrong, but just to clarify, we've seen it twice in two years. So I'm just not leaning on that as like an every week type of expectation for him. But uh, yes, to the defensive line point, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's an, a group that probably got a bit too much play last year. They deserved it because of just the bodies they had and the experience coming back. They didn't fully utilize it for whatever reasons. 
Um, but the guys that are back again, especially a TJ Franklin, it seems like they realize where they aired last year and they're looking to correct that. But uh, they've got a lot of young guys around them that need to, to come along, guys like Cooper Lands and, and others that need to keep developing. Although, based on what Dennis Johnson said like a week ago, I think I wrote an article about it. They feel it was actually more positive than I actually thought really going into it, just the, the kind of vibes around that that whole grouping up front. Yeah, they really like Jarrell Boykins. They, you know, um, they're going to get guys like DK Kalu, Brendan Bett, Trent Thomas arriving um, in the summer. So, it, I mean, feeling good about the group now is great because they got more guys arriving uh, in the summer who should provide even more depth um, for the group. But they look awesome. I mean, they're huge. They're, they're kind of exactly what I think Dave Randa and Dennis Johnson want on their defensive line. Um, moving on to linebacker. Um, I guess we'll, we'll talk about Garmin Randolph. Do you want to talk about that here? Yeah, let's or? go ahead and okay. just mention it. Uh, Garmin Randolph was apparently uh, arrested for DWI over the, I guess, the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And there was somebody on the boards who pointed out from like a Facebook page or something. Um, and that's how it got out uh, that that he had been arrested. So don't have a lot of the details, um, but we do know that that occurred. And so... I'd imagine they're handling that in-house and dealing with that however, but it's just a bad look. I mean, it's it's obviously like I know that to some extent and not to get into like controversial drunk driving, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not the end of the world, but it could have been – it's one of those things that could always be so much worse, and it's just a bad decision. It's a, it's a poor – leadership decision for a guy that we know is going to be leaned on in that regard. So for these young players, they see the older veteran getting in trouble for something, and it just doesn't set a good example. And now they're all best believe going to be watching how that's handled, and you know there's a trickle effect. So, yeah, just not good and uh, unfortunate, and hopefully that's the, the first and last time we hear something involving uh, – involving you know any player and and that but that is uh, something to to make note of for sure Yeah, and for a team that's really trying to get back to where they were in 2021 with this leadership and cultural identity you know it's tough it it provides a, a little bit of a damper on that and also it's a position where they really need Garmin Randolph to be just the guy you know what I mean? Like, you look at the jack position, and they just aren't that deep right now there. They have uh, Kyan Roberts Day, uh, Anthony and Yanwu, Kyler Jordan, a bunch of unproven guys behind Garmin. And so it definitely makes you, you know, kind of a little bit, you know, cautious about that group. I, I think everything will be fine for Garmin, but it's just one of those situations where they don't have a lot of depth behind him, and they really need him to have a, a very productive season. Uh, just as the leader in that room, a guy who's been the de facto starter for a few years now. Yeah, so uh, hopefully he can grow up. I mean, I, I don't know how they're handling that. Uh, we didn't hear. I, we also, I guess, Dave Aranda mentioned him, but mentioned that he's dealing with injury. So, a you heel know, injury. Yeah, I don't know, like how much plays into the time missed and what's part of this and what's part of that. But he was missing time apparently regardless, but obviously he's going to be missing something with this issue as well. So just not a good spring. Let's just call it that. Uh, either way you look at it, whether it's injury or decision-making, uh, yeah, not the spring that you were hoping for for a guy who you were playing on and still are probably playing on leaning very heavily on uh, next season defensively. So, yeah, it that is what it is, and that – 
that will be something to monitor. Yeah, so a couple more nuggets on the uh, linebacker position. Uh, Liberty transfer Mike Smith, he's been playing the Mike linebacker position and performing well. So I kind of expect him and Josh White to kind of be um, the two guys who are maybe, I don't know how they're going to sub them, but those appear to be the two guys standing out the most at Mike at this point. Um, And then at Will, an interesting name that kind of emerged after this first scrimmage was Carmelo Jones. Um, Not a guy that's gotten a whole lot of, you know, talk, I think, by us and really by anyone, um, kind of been lost in the shuffle. But he's a guy who performed really well, um, seems to be making, you know, leaving his mark this spring. And he moved to Will, which at which was kind of new to me because he'd been seeing uh, most of his reps at the Mike linebacker spot. So he might be making that move. Obviously, Matt Jones is there. There's a lot of talent in this linebacker room. So we'll see how that unfolds. Uh, But Carmelo is definitely a guy to keep an eye on uh, going forward. And then finally, I did want to bring up the secondary. So I mentioned, you know, the receivers played really well, scored all those touchdowns. Well, um, I mean, the guys giving up those touchdowns would be the secondary, which was an issue last year. I've mentioned this. They, they, Lost a lot. I mean, Christian Morgan, Al Walcott, Mark Milton, Lorando Johnson, yeah. Devin Neal, all gone. Devin Lemire hurt right now, not playing. I mean, they're just playing a lot of young guys. And so simply put, they're they're trying to develop these guys, trying to figure out what's going to work, what's not. Um, but I think it's very apparent that this group still has some big strides to take as we move forward in the spring. Um, and a lot of young guys are going to have to really adapt to these new roles um, while Lemire is out and you know trying to overcome for the losses of uh, those other four guys. Yeah, and we should uh, make note of the, the separation as far as the defensive backs go. I haven't finished the article just yet. I'm about three-quarters of the way through, um, but was going through listening to Kevin Curtis, specifically the cornerbacks coach, because remember now, Pallage is back with safeties. So mm-hmm. Matt Pallage is D.C., but he's back with safeties. And the big thing that stood out, I guess like the one thing to really know, is, yeah, there's a lot more turnover than you realize because they've been hit now two years in a row with a lot of attrition. They lost all the championship guys that, you know, if you want to look at it as a secondary, it was basically the entire secondary. And, you know, if you look at it just from a corner's point of view, you still lost Raleigh Tejada and Kalen Barnes, and then you what brought back Al Walcott, but then he moved positions. So, and then he transfers. So, yeah, like, the, you had a guy who had some experience, and I don't know what Pallage was going to do with Walcott if they would have reconnected, but doesn't matter because he went off to Arkansas. Lorando Johnson gets himself off the team um, and ends up at Arkansas as well. And he played a bunch at corner for you last year. Uh, Mark Milton finally graduated. Um, and so even if you count, like, the guys that you maybe could have leaned on for some reps, like an, like a Walcott, if you just wanted to, like, you know, see some, some reps over there, you don't even have that kind of depth anymore either. So, yeah, they were kind of cleaned out. They went and got Isaiah Dunson from Miami. Um, but everybody else in that room, A.J. McCarty, I know, is not, like, going to see a ton of time probably at, at this point but he's also gone that's another name that that trans Ooh, mccarty yeah no, no no he's still there is he not on he the move to safety though i mean i yeah. swear i was looking at the roster and he was not on no, there last he, night he moved to oh well that would be okay. news to me i'm well maybe yeah. maybe i just was looking at it wrong so okay that's why i'm glad that i hadn't put the finishing touches on that just yet because yep. i swear i did not see him on the roster last night so it, he's at safety so all right mm-hmm. maybe i just mislooked in that regard so disregard that but um, yeah, they've had some more turnover, and they don't have a ton coming back that's all that experience. You're leaning on, what, Tevin Williams and 
Uh, gosh, who talked yesterday? Um, Dunson, Dunson, and but Chateau Reed. Chateau Reed is yeah. like a is like your super veteran, and he's hardly played. hardly played. I mean, he's like a redshirt junior, and he's I think the only guy who's in his fourth year or longer wow. uh, in that entire room. I think everybody else is like a redshirt sophomore or younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they're they're filled with youth. But Pallers, uh, I mean, uh, Curtis said man to man. That was like the big ongoing theme was man-to-man, man-to-man, man-to-man. We're getting back to man-to-man. We're going to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's an interesting tactic when you got a room full of guys who haven't played a ton and, and aren't super experienced. We're going to be going up against some pretty talented receivers. Yeah, that's a Matthew Pallage philosophy. Yep. They're going to play a lot more press. They're going to be a lot more physical. You saw the move of Romario Noel to cornerback, so you're putting in a six three two hundred pound guy and putting him at cornerback like they're really trying to get more physical on the outside which was something they did not do at all last year they played so much zone and it just absolutely killed them on third downs they just could not get off the field and so I, I think this year you're going to see a much more aggressive defense especially in the secondary but you're exactly right you still need the players to do that you know it's great in theory but you need guys that can step up and actually perform in those roles um, so they're going to have to develop these guys it's a lot of young guys like really young guys sophomores and redshirt freshmen that they're counting on um, as they try to figure this thing out and that's also kind of why I, I do think the transfer portal will probably still get a few more looks as we move forward um I think in a month, May 1st, is when that opens up again. Um, after spring ball, kind of know who's going to be there, who's not going to be there, what what all that looks like. Maybe they look to the portal for a little bit of help in the secondary. Yeah, okay, McCarty is on there. So I must have just been typing it wrong because it was late when I was looking at it. Yeah. And I was like, golly, they lost him too. But um, no, he is at safety now. So disregard that. And I was just looking at something that I thought I was looking at that I was right about, but I was wrong about. So that's good. That's one less piece of attrition, um, but just moving into a different position group. But, yeah, look at this. Isaiah Dunson, sophomore. Caden Jenkins, true freshman, just arrived. Carl Williams the fourth, true freshman, just arrived. Uh, Chateau Reed, redshirt junior, he's barely played. Um, Reggie Bush, redshirt freshman. Tevin Williams, redshirt sophomore. Romario Noel, redshirt sophomore. And that's the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a couple of walk-on guys. And even those guys, red shirts, uh, sophomore, My- Michael Master de Casa, um, MJ Artmore, true freshman. Yeah. So everybody's a red shirt sophomore or younger or, like, basically just arrived, except for Chateau Reed, who's barely played. And then there's Isaiah Dunson, who even himself as a transfer is just a sophomore. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of young guys, man, and you're asking them to be aggressive. And I guess the good news is, is that uh, just with the whole mentality, is you're you're keeping it very simple for them. Uh, but there is a there's a danger there, that's to be sure. So yeah, they got to get to work, and and that's what they're doing day in and day out. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, need someone to step up in that group, or like I said, the portal might be uh, an area they explore for a cornerback and maybe safety as well um depending on how that position develops yeah for sure so uh what else uh, anything else football wise recruiting or, or anything like that no not not football wise but we can talk a little bit about recruiting um so there's going to be a decision tomorrow by Deuce Adams, who's a guy that I've mentioned quite a bit um, at the quarterback position. He's at New Braunfels Canyon, was one of their top 2024 guys. Him and uh, Haas Haney out of Alito have been their top two guys over the last month, really. Um, but Deuce is going to decide tomorrow, and I'm fully expecting him to choose Louisville uh, after he went on a visit there this past weekend. Uh, so another miss um, for Baylor at the quarterback position in this class. 
I wouldn't call it a big miss. Deuce is a good prospect, not an elite prospect. So they're going to have some time to look around. Haas Haney is still on their radar. He visited this weekend, loves what he's seeing from the the Baylor coaching staff, Sean Bell. Uh, He got to learn a lot more about the offense, which he was really excited about. Got to talk with Jeff Grimes about that. Um, Just more, I guess, directly and more informative on this trip than it had been in the past. Um, So he's kind of getting a feel for the Baylor program a little bit. I know there's big TCU ties in his family, so there's a little bit of momentum there as well. Um, But he's just another guy that they're in battle with. And if they don't get him, then you're just kind of going to see a complete reshuffling um, for Baylor as far as looking at their quarterback board. They're going to just have to go back to square one and try finding prospects who they like, bring them in on visits, and um, kind of see where they are. I, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world because what we just saw with Novosad, they found a guy early, got him committed, and then they lost him late. So maybe it's better to find a guy later in the process than early. Um, but at the end of the day, they need to figure out a way to land high school recruits because it's been a minute uh, yeah. at the quarterback position for all the shape and haters. You better hold on to him for dear, dear life. I mean, they kind of have some depth, man. And, and shoot, he's probably going to be the starter, but that's for another conversation. I know we'll keep going back and forth on that for the foreseeable future, but yeah, um, that's not great news. I mean, the struggles to, to land guys just on a regular basis from the high school ranks. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, no need to, be firm on a on an opinion right now on that in April. Uh, they've got eight months to go to land somebody, so we'll see how that occurs. But definitely a situation to monitor, given recent struggles in that regard. To to make that a and you know just an automatic layup that you're going to have a quarterback in every class. It's become harder than it than it needs to be probably, and so uh, we'll see how that that goes on. So all right, good to know as far as that. Uh, Deuce Adams piece and what Haas Haney, the number one, basically the only target now uh, at this point. All right, want to get in the mailbag here? Let's do it. All right, uh, let's start off with Scotty B, the Baylor King. Which new team in the Big 12 are you curious the most during, are you most curious about during spring practices? Um, I, you know, I'm going to go with the team that I think is probably going to be the best team. So UCF is the team that's most intriguing to me. Um, you know, Baylor plays them this year as well. They got John Rice Plumley back at quarterback. Uh, so I guess I'll go with them. You know, I'm interested in all four of these teams, honestly, but I, I just have a feeling they're going to be the best of the bunch next year, at least. Yeah, I'd say UCF is probably just on paper. The, the one to watch out for, um, Houston, very curious how they turn over a lot of talent, losing you know the top quarterback that's been in that room now for several years, uh, losing a receiver like Nathaniel Dell and Clayton Toon, obviously who I'm talking about there. I mean, Clayton Toon was recruited by Kendall Browse. That's yeah. how long he's been at Houston, and right. now he's finally gone. Um, and then, yeah, Dell was a, was a big impact guy for them. I know they'll get Alton McCaskill back on offense, but it's Dana. You just don't know how that's going to work in their adjustment period. Uh, so I could see them being kind of sneaky good or just – Whatever. Um, I think since he's the same way, right? With Houston. Stickle I mean, yeah, Cincinnati with, like, with the coaching change is a lot of questions there right now. And especially when you're not just changing coaches, but you're moving on from a guy who was really sinking good in yeah. Luke Fickle. So uh, I don't think there's really any like super confidence out there right now. I think everybody's kind of in wait and see mode. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and then BYU, a lot of change over there, some changes on defense. You're losing Jaron Hall. Uh, you're losing Puka Nakua, so there's uh, there's some turnover there as well, and 
you know, Kalani Sataki is kind of on a seat that's getting a little bit warm, I think. So that'll be, you know, it's kind of dependent on how they, they enter into the Big 12. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And maybe I'm wrong on the warm. It just feels like I don't know that he can afford like a couple of seasons where it's not great. You know what right. I mean? Um, so I kind of get that feeling there. So, yeah, I mean, Gus and UCF are just – they seem like the most sure thing on paper. So I'd, I'd go with them, have their quarterback back, as you mentioned. He's super talented. So, yeah, I think that uh, they, they're probably the logical choice. Uh, he said, anyways, come out to Baylor versus number one Texas men's tennis Saturday at 6. This could be the last time Baylor plays Texas at home as a conference match. It's senior day for the two seniors in Finbass and while. Uh, Juan Pablo Grassi Mazzucci. Uh, and if I butchered that, my apologies, truly. Uh, but there you go, a little men's tennis note. Get on out there if you get the opportunity to. Papa Bear, is Baylor deeper in depth at cornerback or safety? I'm concerned about these two positioning groups, and we were just kind of touching on that. I just ran down the list of corners, and that was a group that had all redshirt sophomores or under uh, and probably a couple guys as early enrollees that are going to have to like play to some extent. And your only redshirt sophomore or player older than that is Chateau Reed, who, as I pointed out, is not you know exceptionally uh, seasoned at this point in time either. Taking a look at the safeties, it's a bit of a different story. You move Bryson Jackson there, so there's a seventh-year guy uh, with Jackson. Alfonso Allen's a sophomore. A.J. McCarty, we mentioned him, is a redshirt junior. Uh, then, redshirt sophomore Devin Lemire, redshirt freshman Corey Gordon, sophomore Devin Bobby, and that's pretty much, I guess, redshirt freshman Michael Allen. That's the room. So there's not a whole lot of depth there either, and there's barely even more experience, and that's mostly due to Bryson Jackson's played like two careers at this point. Right. So how you feeling about that question? I mean, you're kind of nitpicking with choosing either one. I'm going to go with the one that has at least two proven, well, one somewhat proven. I would say both are somewhat proven commodities when you talk about Bryson Jackson and Devin Lemire. Um, Devin's not playing this spring, which is a, a you know, that's a pain for that group, I, I think, because he kind of is a leader of that group, even though he's still very young in his own right. Um, but you add Bryson Jackson as well. There's just two more somewhat proven commodities compared to cornerback where they don't have a single proven commodity, to be honest. So I'll go with safety, but I, I mean, there is concern about both of these positions for sure. The secondary for Baylor wasn't very good last year, and they haven't really added a bunch of pieces that you feel great about. You're just hoping on development, uh, which was something that didn't really work out a year ago. Bears 224 would love to hear where you think the strength lies within the Baylor football team as you see it so far and what is going to keep us winning games. Secondly, for fun, just a way too early projection of Baylor football's record for next season. Um... So the strength. I'm at seven and five right now. That's where I am, okay. and I'm not going any higher than that. But I could go lower than that by the time it rolls around. And I'm not saying that to be like din din din, but I'm looking at the bare minimum expectation should be a bowl team. I don't care how much changeover there is. I just believe, especially in the transfer portal era and with everything at their disposal, their coaches, like that should be the bare minimum expectation. But beyond that, I don't see a ton of reasons to be perfectly honest with you of why I should be going like, yeah, they're going to win eight or nine games. I just, I don't have that belief right now in, in what we're seeing. There's a long way to go. 
like I said, so maybe that changes, but that's I'm at a seven-win season, and obviously bowl game could go one way or the, the other there. Yeah, so as far as the answer to that first question, I think the defensive line is an area I've mentioned a lot as far as being a strength of this team. Um, I think the offensive line will end up being a strength as well, so I think it's that similar. In the trenches, I think they're going to be really good. Um, and they were supposed to be that last year, and it was kind of up and down consistency-wise. So I think they're going to try to get back to that this year like they were in 2021. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with that for the strength. Now, as far as way too early projection, I, you know, I might get called a sunshine pumper, but I think this is a 9-3 and three type team. I do, and, and that might sound crazy, but if you look at their schedule, this is what we keep talking about, and this is what people who – um, watch Baylor football and watch the Big 12 in general. When you have the slate of four home games versus five road games, it is a massive advantage compared to everyone else in the league. They also get their um, non-conference games. All three of them are at home. Like, I, I know this sounds crazy because they weren't great this past year, but I, I really think this is a year where they could go nine and three, maybe even better than that um, because of how the schedule plays out. Now, yes, do they need to improve? Sure. Um, but we've seen teams in the past that really weren't great that ended up going, you know, nine and three, 10 and two because they had this favorable schedule. And for Baylor, it's in the odd years and that continues. So uh, I think nine and three is my way too early projection. Yeah, I'll stick with seven. Um, you're right. The, there's a lot of home games, but I mean, I look at that first month of the season. They might be under 500, leaving that bad boy uh, that first five weeks, um, because that's not a guarantee you beat Utah at home. I mean, uh, Texas State just even in the opener. I'm not predicting a loss there, but with GJ Kenny, that itself is way more of a daunting, uh, uncertain type of a, you know, what you're gonna see uh, type of game than than your like. That's not just old Texas State rolling into town, you know what I mean, where you're like, oh, we'll beat their brains in. Like, I, I They probably should still win big, but I'm just saying, like, with G.J. Kinney and that staff, that's going to be interesting to see, like, how they've they've changed things in San Marcos because they're, they're not playing around. But, you know, yeah, that, that first month is going to be very telling. You play Texas early on. You play Utah. Uh, who else is in that first month? Um, Texas State, Long Island. Long Island's yeah, that's obviously and when we were like, whatever. But. At Central Florida and Texas Tech before they're by. I mean, sh- man, that second half of the season, they better be, uh, they better be pacing well. Um, although it would obviously – you know, hopefully be more opportunistic in the second half uh, with some, some maybe some teams that they feel better about. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be very uh, very interesting to see how opinions change as we draw closer and know a little bit more about this team. Yeah, and about the teams they're going to play. And about the teams they're going to play. I know we, we, like, Texas Tech is everyone's flavor of the month right now, but Baylor beat them by, like, 26 points in Lubbock last year. Yeah. And so, and they had all these, they had NFL guys and they couldn't stop the run. So now they're going to come to Waco and they're just going to roll in and beat Baylor. I just, I just, I, I think that people again are overreacting to one season in which, you know, Baylor went six and seven, you know, losing their bowl game. I, I just, I, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at, but you're exactly right. You know, things will change as we move forward and we start to learn more about every team in the Big 12. Darth Mellon, now that it's looking like Haney and Adams are going elsewhere, where does the coaching go if they do? Do you think we go for a transfer? Are you at all concerned about our ability to recruit quarterbacks, even with Robertson's commitment out of the portal? Thanks for all of your work on the podcast. Well, thank you, Darth Mellon. So I, I don't 
think the Haney one is a for sure thing. I, I think most people view him as a lean towards TCU, and I understand that. But he does very much like Baylor, has visited Baylor twice in the last three weeks. So there's clear interest there um, on his side. Now, they're going to miss on Adams, in my opinion. And so I don't think they're going to take a transfer. I think, again, they're going to look through and kind of see what the high school recruiting landscape looks like. Now, I guess if they don't find anyone they like in 2024, then they might just take a young guy that's transferring. I guess that that's possible as far as taking a transfer quarterback. But I do think eventually they're going to need to recruit high school quarterbacks. Like, you want to take a guy and then develop that guy into the quarterback you want him to be. Now, I will say this. The portal has helped that you know you can supplement your recruiting quite a bit uh, because of that and it's not really hurting them like recruits aren't sitting there going you know what quarterback did you get last year and how highly rated was he that's not really a thing they're more looking at you know how old are the guys in the room and what does the room look like as opposed to how well are you recruiting the high school quarterback um so yeah that's just kind of my general thoughts on it and kind of where Baylor is at right now but I feel like they feel good about their quarterback position with Sawyer Robertson, Blake Shapin, and then the walk-on R.J. Martinez, who has started many games at the FCS level, and I think they feel good about him as well. Um, so I don't think there's a ton of pressure for them to you know, take a high school quarterback that they don't necessarily love. Yeah, I think that uh, about answers it, but uh, certainly a situation to monitor as we move forward, uh, fast forward a few months, get into the season and kind of see where the quarterback room is there. And then obviously as you start to draw closer to the end of that bad boy, uh, you'll start to have, like we'll like we'll have a better idea of what to expect with a Blake Shapin, for example. Like is he playing and starting or is he like five games on the bench because Sawyer Roberts has taken over and that changes everything obviously because then you're you're talking about well you're going to lose a guy to the portal or whatever and so hard to know right now but they seem to have patched the hole in the side of the ship pretty well uh, considering where they were on signing day number one and the feeling at that point in time so nice recovery let's see what they do with it but not nearly as much pressure at the moment uh, here in a few months let's let's talk about it again Peyton D. B214. LJ seemed like a great kid, but it's tough for me to show how it's tough for me to see how his one foot in, one foot out mindset at Baylor helped the overall locker room chemistry. Talking about LJ Cryer. Surely his teammates caught wind of his intention way before it was even out there. And yes, he may have been a good teammate, but being fully engaged is a different level. I can imagine some people are frustrated in the new NIL space and how rosters turn over year in and year out. Your opinion on how Scott and staff will handle players who have wandering eyes. The program has been built on multiple-year dudes who come in and grind, but I feel that philosophy may be compromised. And that was certainly the case with the national championship team where they were super seasoned all over, had guys who had redshirted and hung around and played a lot and uh, guys who even came in and transferred but sat out a year. And, you know, all that kind of added up to what was a super seasoned, super tough roster. And, yeah, in the last couple of years, it has been more of an NIL world and, you have uh, your one-and-dones like your Keontae Georges, and you have still a sprinkling of your more seasoned guys, and, and now you're going to have guys like an L.J. Cryer who, I don't know, just based on kind of the way he's being talked about as far as wondering eyes, like I don't know he was ever meant to stick around for all that long, but um, you know he's not going to be a, a guy who, who you can bank on, and there's going to be a lot probably less guys that you can bank on being able to operate that way with. So uh, what do you think? Are you concerned about just uh, the – 
the, uh, I guess, direction this is all headed. Yeah, you know, I think people need to remember that LJ was at Baylor for what? Three years, four years. He redshirted. I think he was at Baylor for four yeah. years, so he was a multiple year guy yeah, at you're Baylor. Right. I know he didn't stay for all what six years that he has on <laughs> of eligibility, but like he was a multiple year guy at Baylor. So they did have a guy like that. Now losing him to another team versus losing him to a pro team, you know, I guess we can argue, you know, what that means. But I think what Scott Drew and the staff are doing is perfect. And last year, to be honest, they got really unlucky because Jeremy Sohan was not a top 20 prospect when he got to Baylor, but they developed him into a top 10 NBA pick. They weren't planning on that. If they had had him this year, they would have been ridiculously good. I mean, we're seeing what he's doing with the Spurs. Like, he's a good player. So my point on that is sometimes you get unlucky. And I would say they got unlucky with Sohan just because of how good he actually ended up being. Um, But in general, they're developing guys. And you're seeing that, you know, Antoine Grimes, if Jalen Bridges stays, you know, he'll be a guy that develops for a couple years. Josh O, uh, Everyday John, like they have guys that they're working, Dale Bonner, you know, guys that they're, you know, still developing, they're going to be in the program for a long time, and then they're supplementing that with transfers that they add, and then these high-end prospects like Jacoby Walter, who everyone thinks is probably going to be a uh, one-and-done guy. He actually just won Geico Nationals this year and was the MVP um, of that tournament, so they they won the national championship for best team in high school basketball at Link Academy. Um, but yeah, he's the guy you're playing to be a one and done. But then you also have Miro Little, who's the guy that you're planning on being at Baylor for a while and grooming and developing him. So I, I think the way they're handling things is perfect. I just think sometimes you get unlucky and you're not going to win a national championship every single year. But the fact of the matter is you just want to have you know a top three seed every year, compete, potentially win the Big 12 every year. And I think that's all you can hope for. Then once you get to the tournament, you know, let the chips fall as they may. So, Peyton, appreciate the question, and uh, hopefully you got your answer. Um, I can see where people are a little bit on edge as far as, like, you know, it's um, exit in the round of 32, and then Keontae's a one-and-done, and then now Cryer's into the transfer portal, and it's just natural for people to go, like, oh, my gosh, what's going, you know, yeah. where are we going? Is this skidding off the road all of a sudden? And it is a different uh, era, certainly, with the uh, options that are out there for players. So, L.J. Cryer will maximize his opportunity, and the Bears, guess what, are going to go get somebody from another roster that's, that's going to fill his role or help at least fill his role, and um, hopefully he'll work out as well as L.J. Cryer did for Baylor for the time that he was in Waco. But uh, good luck to him. Peyton, appreciate the question, and that'll be bring the mailbag to a close this week. And uh, also... Uh, in doing so, bring this episode to a close this week. Uh, about to head on out the door. Got more spring practices to go um, here over the next few days. I think they're going to be off this weekend. I think they got two more this week, and then they'll be off this weekend and then have a couple more weeks still left to go. So we've still got plenty of uh, time to talk more spring ball. Check out more on that over on the website as well. Uh, but, Grayson, uh, what would you like to talk about uh, or plug, whatever, uh, as we head on out of here today? Yeah, just, I mean, if you're not a Sikkim365 Premium subscriber, please do so. We have all kinds of spring football content, recruiting content, um, and just really everything. I know Garrett's working on women's basketball stuff as well. We have men's basketball stories. So lots to to kind of check out and, and just get your fill of Baylor sports on. And then, of course, uh, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, with uh, Craig and Smokey and Paul as well. 
Yep, uh, we'll talk to you at 3 o'clock and have more headed your way from uh, Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. Do appreciate you listening. Appreciate everybody who chimed in the mailbag. Appreciate everybody watching on YouTube as well. Drop a like. Uh, hit subscribe if you would. It's the easiest and uh, most surefire way to support what we do, and uh, we thank you for doing so. Until next time, next Tuesday at noon, this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, YouTube, and 365 Sports.